everybody, and welcome to Finding Peaks. Um, I am your host today, president and founder, Christopher Burns, also known as? Uh, motivational specialist. Got it. Yeah. Got Ooh. it, man. We're moving up from company cheerleader. Yeah. I got the promotion to motivational specialist. It's a pretty big deal. You worked hard, though. Yeah. yeah you Thank you, it. man. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> and we have our admission specialist, Tris Sampson. Sampson. Grateful to have her on the show. Just an amazing professional we're going to get to check in with today. And just really grateful to be in this room because we actually all started our professional careers at the same spot. We were sitting kind of talking before the show and how meaningful it's been to kind of form the shape of our heart on the ground level as kind of infantry soldiers, CCAs, techs, house managers. Uh, Jason was over in a psych unit down the road. Tris was over at uh, Cottonwood Day Tucson. And so I was at Decision Point Center and really cut my teeth there and just grateful to be around some professionals that form the heart in the trenches and have really carried that into their um, higher level positions. So we'll just get it going today. Um, we got Tris to my right, and Tris, what was unique in your experience at Cottonwood Day Tucson when you were first got that tech position and you started to see kind of client facing what pain and shame and mental health look like front and center? What was that like for you? Sure. So to be honest, I didn't know a lot about the industry. Mm -hmm. I started as an intern at a local sixth grade trying to educate sixth graders on substance abuse. And the fact that they were interested in it, I think it's an incredible way to start. Um, that's kind of what sparked my interest immediately because I feel like if you wait too long, you wait till high school, you wait till, you know, problems are already arising and no one wants to talk about them. Mm -hmm. So the engagement out of the classes that we got was really, really incredible. Um, and then, yeah, so I started as a tech and they told me that I was going to be working <laughs> with the adults. <laughs> and I thought that I was going to be working with our youth program. And I was immediately terrified. Like, well, I don't know how to do that. I can't do that. I'm in early college. I've, you know, my friends are going out every night and I can't be doing this. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, the more I got to know our clients, the more I got to be working. I mean, I was working like an animal. I was working mm -hmm. like 50 hours a week mm -hmm. just because I loved going to work. And when they needed extra people or they needed somebody to step in and I knew something about a client or I knew that a client was suffering who I had rapport with, it was mm -hmm. so easy to jump in mm -hmm. and to acknowledge what was going on and to be like, well, I, can, I can make a difference. Mm -hmm. And that was huge. Yeah. Um, no matter the age, no matter the background, you know, the vulnerability of recovery came up immediately. Mm. And the dynamic of going to college and seeing the issues with addiction mm -hmm. and the issues just with drugs being plentiful everywhere, mm. but also going to work at a recovery center every day was tough. Yeah. It was really tough, and it made a huge impact on my life. Yeah, and I'm sure you see too with like, you're going into the party scene and then you're going out as a result, the, the, the outcomes of the party scene very quickly. Um, and shout out to University of Arizona, Bear Down. Bear Down. Bear Down, <laughs> here we go. Number eight in the country right now. So. What? Um, but I really like that too. And having been able to start with young people, you bring up a gr really great point to see 
the opportunity we have to shape young people. And they are just like clay in our hands. And then you get to transition into working with adults. And it's been my experience that it's a lot like that as well, because you're building from the foundation up in a new way of life. So it's a really special process to be a part of, to your point. So mm -hmm. thank you for checking in with that. Jay, what was it like you for you right down the road in 1990? <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> <Somewhere in> there. <laughs> the 1900s is all I can say. Um, I mean, you ask, that's a good question. I went to, when I went to college, my first degree was gonna be in geology. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I figured out that rocks were cool, but like I liked people more. So I switched <laughs> over to psychology. Um, so I got, I got a really powerful bachelor degree in psychology, which led me to print t-shirts for two years, VeggieTales t-shirts, as a matter of fact. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, pretty soon after that, I'm like, okay, I do want to pursue this, uh, a career in mental health. So I got a job as a behavioral health tech, it was called, um, at a place called St. Francis Hospital here in town. It, it doesn't even, it's, yeah, it doesn't exist anymore. The, the actual building doesn't. But, um, and I remember, you know, I kind of walked on the job and, you know, it was a locked unit. Like you have to be buzzed in and, and got a report from a nurse. And then suddenly I'm on the floor and I'm like, this is, it is such a transition to kind of know cognitively about schizophrenia or about mania or about substance withdrawal. And then, you know, as a 20 whatever year old back in the 1900s, um, <laughs> it was wild to just like see all of those things in real life. Um, and to recognize too uh, that people were way beyond those descriptors, you know what I mean? Like those were humans. Those mm -hmm. were really people that, you know, their, their, their brain may not have been working as well as uh, it could have been. Um, but they had families and they had ambitions and they had hopes and they were severely mentally ill. That's why they were in a psych unit. And, um, and so walking through that process and actually not to really date myself um, and take it on a tangent, but we had a smoking room in the hospital oh, on wow. this third floor. There was a room. We let them in. There was a little lighter on the, on the wall. Yeah. And you not stuck the cigarette That's what they do in, prison, I think, in there. Yeah. yeah. And you hold, you held a little button down. It was yeah. like an old car cigarette lighter. Anyway, now I feel really old. Uh, but like I, <laughs> they don't even make them anymore. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it really kindled that that passion and desire to um, to really help people, and it and it spurred me into getting a master's degree because I knew I didn't want to be a tech forever. As as enjoyable as it was, honestly, and and um, you know, in, in some ways, I do look fondly back on it as well because it was just. Uh, it, you never knew what you're gonna get any given day for sure. It was always a wild ride. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Both of your experiences too, and and just to like, you don't know what it's like working with a vulnerable population until you're sitting in front of a vulnerable population, and then some, some worldviews of mine right away collapse. Yeah. Um, and I have a new perspective, and I realize that I may have even got it wrong at some point. And really what our vulnerable people need is connective care, compassion, love, empathy. They don't need judgment, shame, and pain because they already have enough of that going on. And so can you talk to me a little bit, Tris, about how that heart formed at the ground level has really transitioned into where you are today as an admission specialist and what you get to do in a similar fashion with kind of a different um, part of the family system generally. You know, you're talking to loved ones. I know you're talking to clients as well, but what is that like, that experience um, now in this new position? Well, not new position here at Peaks, but something you've been doing for a while now. 
Sure, absolutely. And I think a lot of it is like we almost become masters of reading between the lines is a huge part of my job, mm -hmm. right? Because you're dealing with a lot of different dynamics, whether you're talking to grandma or uncle or cousin or scared friend or client themselves, every situation is gonna be so different and trying to figure out where the client is at in all of that mm -hmm. and what do they want is vital. It's vital. And sometimes they won't give it to you and sometimes you have to learn from family members mm -hmm. to figure out why these people are on the phone with you, right? Um, but I think just going back to being a tech and being able to sit with clients and ask them questions as, look, I'm not part of your clinical, I'm, I'm not here as your treatment team, I'm here just to help in any way that I can. Mm -hmm. I'm here because I wanna be here. I'm here because I like public health. I want to help people. And that sounds so cliche, but it starts to open up a bigger conversation mm -hmm. of, oh, this person doesn't have access to update my family and, you know, reach right. out to my clinicians or all these things. And she's just going to sit there and listen to me. Mm -hmm. And I do take that approach a lot of times with families of, it, it depends on who you're talking to, but a lot of times you're talking to very, very scared parents. Yeah. Um, you're talking to very, very scared kids mm -hmm. of their parents. Mm -hmm. um, and just being able to relate and ease in a way of being able to back the program. Mm -hmm. And I trust this program and I trust this program for specific reasons. Here's a few of them. And I don't feel like it comes off CLZ. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to speak the truth about it because our program is incredible. Mm -hmm. um, and our clinical support and just the support of all teams involved is exponential. So I just think that being able to get down on everyone's level um, very, very quickly mm -hmm. and have a conversation with somebody. Yeah. I'm not pinpointing you know, questions. I'm not reading from a book. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of things to draw off of based on our program, if anybody has questions. Mm -hmm. But my goal is to talk to them. What do you want? Right. What are you looking for? Yeah. That's really cool. It actually reminds me of what Madeline said, you know, just last week. And she said, listen first, solve later. Listen first, solve later. And you just define that really eloquently. I thought that was really awesome to, to have that ability to sit in what I call, and we were talking about last week, which is like holding space for vulnerable people and intensified family systems. And that can be really tough to do to not get in because you have the solution, similar to Madeline, similar to the entire admissions team. You have the solution right here, but to really sit back and listen, I think just shows um, that compassion and the passion that you have for working with this population. Can you think of, uh, for our viewers and, and maybe families that are struggling watching this or loved ones that are struggling watching this, can you talk about maybe a complex admission that you worked through and some fear that a family had and how you were able to walk with them into care um, through connection, empathy, um, and grace? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, every dynamic is really, really tough, mm -hmm. um, whether you're talking specifically to a client, but one that comes to mind, I was working with um, a, a husband and wife that had been dealing with his addiction for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. And 
the dynamic between her calling and just yelling about the addiction and I need him gone and I need him to, you know, get it together and all of these sorts of things. But realizing and taking compassion for, look, you've been dealing with this for a long time and I'm going to empathize with that. This isn't easy. Mm. And I hear that this is hard. Mm -hmm. And being able to bring her down of this isn't just on her, mm -hmm. you know, and this isn't just affecting him. Mm -hmm. It's affecting the whole family system. And I talk to families about that often mm -hmm. of take a second because this is also about you. Mm -hmm. You're not the ones putting, you know, substances in your body or whatever it is, mm -hmm. but this is affecting you. Yeah. And so then I would get on the phone with him and he's like, my wife's going to divorce me. I'm so worried. And that's why I'm coming and all of these things and just super heightened, but picking on, okay, can I use my phone? Okay. How many times do I get to talk to people? Mm -hmm. What does the bed situation look like? Mm -hmm. You know, what am I looking at? And trying to draw back of you know, the things that you're talking about are very circumstantial. Mm -hmm. you know, they're very, um, what's the word for it? Superficial. Or they're superficial. Not, they're not, yeah. Yeah. Yes, uh -huh. thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, superficial. Mm -hmm. And this is not why you're on the phone with mm -hmm. me. Um, and it's tough, especially mm -hmm. because some of the, our clients that call in are very intoxicated. Mm -hmm. um, and then all of a sudden, the family dynamic grows. Yeah. And brother starts calling you, right. and mom starts calling you. You got to talk to Tris. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tris is Tris, Tris is gonna fix this. Yeah. Don't call Tris. Yeah. yeah. Call Tris. Everybody call Tris. <laughs> so then you say, Oh, I'm so and so's brother and uncle, and, and okay, all right. What is your role in this? Right. How can I help educate you? Right. Um, and just putting as, as many of the family members at ease so that it is a possibility mm. for somebody to receive care, and he he did end up coming in. Yeah. That's, that's exceptional, too. And just, I think what you say in that, too, and we've talked about this before, I sat and did a show with Jason in 2017, and he said, the addict doesn't want to be where he's at. It's the last thing he wants on earth. He wasn't sitting there dreaming of being an addict or somebody who copes with substances. And so when the family calls and they're intensified and the client gets on and he's in, they actually both want the same thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's really holding space for them and guiding them into a position to see that, yes, we're in fear. Yes, we're angry. Yes, we've been hurt. Yes, it's a lot. But we all want the same thing. I can assure you there's nobody beating themselves up as bad as the person that needs this help. Right. Right. And once we start to understand that and empathize with that, then you can kind of create that conduit and that channel to really get people in the door and get the resources that they need. So that was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Jason, what has it been like what do you take from that early, early experiences at the psych unit and carry with you today? And it's been a long time and the field has progressed from then in a tremendous way and specifically Peaks Recovery. But what are some of those things that you keep um, that you formed in those early stages of your career? I, you know, Chris, I think the thing that I, that I, I, you would recognize it's still about me if you if you had been there if if it were filmed like I just like to sit and talk to people and it is why, um, you know when when you're in that world like they they put me on like swing shift um, mm -hmm. through the weekends because like that's where yeah that's where the action was mm -hmm. um, and they knew that like I was down for whatever and not I, I mean I was also trying to learn a lot but I also wanted to learn and collect stories from people too because that's how I learned talking to somebody and watching how um, 
how they present and what they're wrestling with and seeing what kind of interventions even at that level were helpful. Um, and so I think what I pulled from that is, is that exact curiosity and that, that care um, element. Because um, again, same thing, nobody wants to be in a psych hospital, I'll mm. tell you that. Nobody, oh. nobody is like, oh, it's so great. You know, it's the food, food is yeah. fire there. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, you get these great slippers. It bed. Um, yeah. It's not, that's yeah. not it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, walking people through that and, and, you know, I can, we could spend two hours of me telling stories from that. And that was back, you know, that's over 20 years ago that I was there, but it was so impactful and carrying around some of those stories that people came in and shared um, was just incredibly powerful, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's really beautiful, that those, those small, meaningful moments of connection. And I think Brandon, our CEO, was telling me last week that we admitted into Peaks Recovery last year something like 1,200 clients. 1,200 and something clients. That means that last year I sat in front of 1,500 people and had a cup of coffee. Mm. I mean, like, my worldview and my our ability to expand and get to know people um, face to face with different worldviews and different walks of life has just been so precious and so meaningful to I know everybody in this room. And I think that's ultimately what makes Peaks so special is that there isn't a person on this 90 person multidisciplinary team that isn't willing to take their heart out and put it on the table and have a conversation around it. Yeah. And that is special. Um, and I just thank both of you for not only being great humans, but just phenomenal professionals um, and engaging our clients and the people that we serve with authenticity, compassion, um, and love. It's really, really cool. And um, I kind of want to end with this. So <clears throat> the, uh, the first, I'm going to give a little shout out here. So the first person that I ever sat in front of with a decade sober and a graduate degree um, was one of my good friends, Lenny Siegel. And he's the uh, owner of Pace Recovery in Huntington Beach. And I just remember sitting in front of him in a Cottonwood Day Tucson, and I said to myself, I'm going to take your job. You know? <laughs> and I didn't take his job, but I assume the same role as he does today. And Tris has quite a bit of experience with Lenny. And just want to give him a shout out because he's one of those big hearted professionals that I think are few and far between these days. And um, just want to say shout out to Lenny. Uh, appreciate you, and um, I thank you all for coming on the show today, Jason. It's always great. I just love these uh, meaningful opportunities to connect with you guys on just a different level outside of the workspace. So mm -hmm. that's all we got today with Finding Peaks. <laughs> as I turn up the voice, uh, find us uh, on your on all of your social media outlet: Instagram, Facebook, the other podcast. What else are we doing? Oh, I got a TikTok. I follow Peaks on TikTok. Follow us on TikTok. We're on there as well. Jason, you're on TikTok. I just got on we TikTok. Got TikTok. Oh, yeah, just, we got a TikTok like two TikTok. days ago. I'm going to get on TikTok. Yeah. I don't understand it. Yeah, I'll show but you. I'll, okay, I'll So thank you so out. much. Make it great. <laughs>